the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. Thank you for choosing 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm your host for today. Coming up on Hi Kids today, I'll be interviewing Ruark Pethers. He is the senior art specialist and managing director at Aspire Art. So just stay tuned to 101.9 Hi FM to find out more about what he does and how fun art can be. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm 12 years old. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming in studio with me. Uh, I wanted you to come today because I was very interested in all the stuff that you do at Aspire Art, like, and art is generally very interesting. But I think let's start. What is Aspire Art, first of all? Um, so Aspire Art is an art auctioneering firm. So we sell art on behalf of other people um, to other people. Essentially, we act as agents. People own art. And when they're ready to sell it for a variety of reasons, they contact us, and then we sell it by auction, which means that, um, as opposed to a gallery or whatever, we actually specifically sell it at auction, which you may know is when you sit around and somebody stands at the front and sells the work. So can you explain to me what an auction is? How does it work? So an auction, in fact, is, they reckon, the oldest way of selling things ever. In fact, in pre-Roman days, thousands of years ago, they used to sell homes and things by auction. But essentially, it's a public platform where anybody can attend, and you go to an auction, and you bid on something. So the auctioneer will raise a bid um, and indicate a price, uh, a pricing level, and then anybody who is attending the auction who is willing to bid that amount can raise their hand, and then they have that bid at that amount. If somebody else wants it more than that person, they can bid against them and thereby increase the bid by a certain amount. And essentially you keep going up and up until the last person is standing, until everybody else drops out and there's one person left. And whatever the amount is that that one person is left at, where all the other bidders stopped, that's the amount that you will sell for. So basically let's say there's a painting and um, the auctioneer, let's just say, says, this I'm going to sell this for 3,000 Rand, and five people stand up. And one person thinks, no, I really want this. I'll buy it for 5,000 Rand. And the next person thinks, no, I want it even more. I'm going to buy it for 6,000 Rand. And the person who's willing to go the highest gets to buy it. That's absolutely right. That's a very interesting way of selling things. It's a very fair way of selling things because it means that you sell to the highest bidder, to the person you know who's willing to spend the most on it. So it's a very transparent and very democratic way of, of selling things. And with this website, you said that you sell other people's art. So if they want to sell their art, then they can contact you and you will auction it for them. Is that basically what happens or not really? Th- that's right. I mean, it hinges on whether it's suitable for us. We're quite particular in what we handle. We specialize very much in modern and contemporary art from South Africa as well as from the rest of the continent. But if somebody was interested, they contact us. We either go and look at the artwork or they send us a picture of the artwork and then we estimate a value, and then if they're happy with that value and they want to sell, then we put it onto an auction at that value. But always with auction, remember, you have an estimate range. So you wouldn't just say something's worth 3,000. You'd say we think it's worth three to 4,000 or three to five, and that's based on, on precedent. 
which means that if you bring us a painting, let's say, for example, you bring us a picture by William Kentridge, right? And it's a drawing from 1995, and it's a certain size, and it's a certain subject. We would take that picture of yours and compare it to other works by William Kentridge that are similar in subject, in medium, uh, in condition, all of those things. And then we would see what those works had sold for, and then depending on whatever those comparable works sold for, we would use that as a benchmark um, for the value, for the projected value of a new work coming onto auction. So let's say the last work that was similar sold for 25,000 rand, then we would estimate the next work at, say, 20 to 30,000 or 25 to 30,000 rand. And can I ask you, if people say there's nothing wrong in art, so how can you say that something's worth more money? Like, what makes art worth more money or worth less money? <laughs> well, I think that is the, you know, the, the age-old question, really. But really, I think what decides value in art is, like with anything, really, it's basically what somebody's willing to pay. Um, and while 99% of art has no intrinsic value, you know, most people would agree that the Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris is probably the most valuable artwork in the world. But essentially, it's worth nothing. It's basically material and, as you say here, paint. You know, paint is made of resin and pigment, basically. And that's essentially what artworks are made from. And they have no inherent value. They can't do anything. They're inert. Um, and so the value in art is all around perception. It's all around what people think and the value that people put into it and the reason William Kentridge is so valuable is because he's a great artist and many people around the world appreciate how great he is and for that reason they're willing to spend a lot more on his work than on many other artists work that makes sense so it's not necessarily that it's worth more just that people make it worth more if that makes Ex sense exactly yeah and what what's your place in all of this as the managing director so as the managing director I suppose like with many businesses you coordinate uh, you know i suppose i'm i'm responsible for the high level management seeing to it that we're following our strategy that we're achieving our goals and i suppose that everybody knows what they're doing and i think in a lot of ways as a managing director your job is really to be everybody's wingman and to make sure that all of your colleagues and all of your staff know what they're doing and have what they need to do what they're doing and i think if I am able to ensure that all of my colleagues are able to do their job at their best or to the best of their ability, then I'm doing my job adequately well. So you basically oversee the whole process of this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I work very much with all of my colleagues and, you know, it's fairly flat line structure, but essentially, yes, that's what I do. Would you go and look at if someone said, I want to give you this painting, drawing, whatever, so you can auction it, would you go and look at it to make sure that it's worthy almost of Correct. being in your auction? Yeah, so I'm saying you personally. Yeah, yeah, I do it. I'm a specialist as well, so I go and look at a lot of pictures. I've looked at dozens of thousands of pictures in my life. But I think the most important thing really in today's world is to go and confirm that something's authentic. Quite often you go and somebody will tell you that this painting is by X, Y, or Z, and in fact, it's definitely not by X, Y, or Z, and it's basically something that's been made much more recently and made to look like it is by somebody else. Um, and that is something that we constantly need to deal with in our industry because as artworks become more and more valuable and people hear about them, so they're more inclined to produce fakes to try and sell them 
to people who don't know any better, who believe that they are the real thing, um, and then find that they burnt their fingers. Wow, that's very interesting. I wouldn't think that that would be the main problem. I mean, I wouldn't think that that would be a problem, just be like, nah, this isn't good enough, you know, that's not pretty, no one want to buy this, you know, kind of thing. There's a, there's a huge um, industry, I suppose, um, for, for people who make artworks that, you know, are meant to look like something else. And I think for that reason, that's why it's so very important that you always, if you ever do start buying art, that you buy it from a reputable company or from a, you know, well-known dealer or gallery rather than just buying it from some random person who meets you in a parking lot or on the side of the road. I'm not sure if this is true, but someone told me that, like, um, paintings and stuff, artworks by famous artists have, like, a chip in them that you can scan to see if it's the real thing, something like that. No, look, I mean, there's certain institutions, certain museums um, and things like that that do things to their artwork. Some of them put labels on the back. Some of them do install chips. There's various things that you can do, but it's certainly not a standard practice. I mean, you know, 500 years ago when Leonardo da Vinci was painting, there was no <laughs> such thing as a microchip. So you certainly wouldn't find that in, you know, old master pictures. But it's something that can be done nowadays if you so wish. So how can you tell if it was really authentic because people can be very good at copying stuff especially with the technology that we have today yeah that's absolutely right i think you know i think the ability to tell a right picture from a wrong picture is really the largest part of your of your expertise and your specialization um do you know malcolm malcolm gladwell and the 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 10,000 hour concept he basically wrote a book um, where he said that to become an expert in anything, you need to spend 10,000 hours doing it. And 10,000 hours is more or less 10 years of, you know, 40 hours a week wow. or whatever. And it's somewhere in that process of spending 10,000 hours looking at artworks and getting to know the artist and the artwork. And sometime during that process, you, I don't know, I think you just educate your eye and your eye gets to a point where it can actually start to decipher what an authentic brushstroke by Irma Stern or whoever would look like compared to what somebody trying to make it look like them looks like. There are other more scientific ways, um, but none of them are very robust. None of them are very reliable. And then I think the, you know, ultimately it comes down to your special, to your expertise and to how well you know what you're doing. So it's basically experience that will train it's you to be able to do that. Hugely that, yes. So how would you almost become into the job that you're having, if that makes sense. Because um, if you if you want to become what you're doing, like your job, to go and, you know, look at these kind of artworks and decide if they're authentic or not, how would you learn how to do that without experience? Saying, how did you learn how to become yeah. what you're doing? Um, it's not the type of industry, you know, it's not like being a lawyer or an accountant where you go and study that specifically and then qualify and then go into work in that field. Most people who do what I do started out with a degree in art, as I did. Um, generally, the best is a degree in fine art, where you actually paint yourself and draw yourself and sculpt yourself. But a lot of people just, well, a lot of people do a history of art degree. Um, and that gives you a good grounding. But I think it's one of those industries where you learn the overwhelming majority of what you do on the job. Um, and the way you get to know what an artist's work looks like or the way you 
hone your skills as a specialist is really the the best way and really the only way to do it is simply by looking at art every day. Go to museums, go to galleries, look on the internet, read books. And the more art you look at, the more you educate your eye and the better your eye gets at, you know, serving you really and, and, and deciphering the right from the wrong and also being able to tell what a good example of an artwork is. You know, like with any any artist, but again, use William Kentridge. You know, William Kentridge is a brilliant artist. He's probably the most famous artist that this country um, has produced to date. But like with anybody, you know, you have good days, you have bad days, you have medium days, and you get absolutely amazing William Kentridges, you get pretty good William Kentridges, and then you get slightly mediocre William Kentridges. Um, And I think the more William Kentridge artworks that you've seen, the better positioned you are and the easier it is for you to be able to identify what a really great one looks like compared to a mediocre one compared to not such a great one. It's very interesting. And you mentioned that you have like a degree in art. So do you ever make your own artworks and auction them off? <laughs> so that's not really how the industry works. I I certainly studied my undergrad was a, was a fine art degree. And I think like most people who study fine art, they hope that they're going to grow up and be the next Pablo Picasso. <laughs> but sadly, um, doesn't like it that. doesn't really work out that way. You know, the odds, the odds in the world, you know, we, we were doing the numbers, but every year there are thousands and thousands of art school graduates that come into the art industry. I mean, if you look the whole world over, Europe, America, Asia, there are heaps and heaps of, of, of fourth-year graduates who come out with degrees in art every year, and there's probably enough space in the industry to absorb maybe, I don't know, 25 of them per year out of thousands that qualify. So, you know, the odds of, of making a career as an artist are slim. You've got to be, not only have you got to be talented, you've got to be incredibly driven and incredibly committed and I think you have to accept the fact that there's a good chance that the first five, ten years of your career might not be very lucrative and it might be quite difficult to make ends meet. And I think it's really only the people who have that, you know, that, that total commitment and that, that unwavering, you know, will to keep going and keep making their art. Those are the ones that ultimately prevail. Um, I mean, again, William Kentridge, there were many years where he struggled you know, it wasn't easy for him in the early days before he became famous, but the reason he got so famous is because he just stuck to his guns and he just kept making great art. And ultimately the world kind of, you know, realized and, and I've started to appreciate the great things he did. And now he's very wealthy because of it. But there was definitely a period where things weren't easy for them, as with many artists, as with most artists, in fact. So you don't necessarily, you don't really make your own art? So no, my day, look, I mean, I still do things, I still doodle and whatever, but <laughs> I would Doesn't never, everybody. yeah, exactly, but I would never, I would never put what I make onto an auction that I do, you know, I'm, I'm a professional art dealer, I'm not a professional artist, and I think it's quite important to maintain that distinction, um, you have to be one or the other, I don't think you can be an artist and also try and sell art at the same time, I think if you're an artist, you need to focus entirely on being the best artist you can be. And I think if you're an art dealer, you need to focus entirely on promoting and developing the art that you handle. But if, you know, if your, if your agenda is to promote yourself, it means that you're essentially promoting yourself at the expense of the other people that you're representing, which would then generate a conflict of interest, which it just wouldn't be very professional and it wouldn't work very well for anybody. 
from what you've tell, you've been telling me about art does sound that you need to like you need to give it your all. Very you much can't so. have any distractions or anything. Frankly, I would say that's probably the case with most things in life. If you want it bad enough, you've got to you know throw yourself at it with one hundred and ten percent. It's true. And this is very interesting, and I can't wait to carry on talking about it after the song break. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids, for Kids, by Kids. My name is Buria Katz, and I am 12 years old. Now, let's carry on with the questions. So, at an auction, when you, you've told me before that you set a estimated price of that you're going to sell the the artwork for so let's say it's 10,000 rand between 10 and 11,000 rand let's just say does it ever happen that you don't manage to sell it for what you estimated and it actually lands up being sold for 8,000 rand yeah that certainly can happen but you wouldn't sell it then so the way it works is that everything gets an estimate and as I explained the estimate is based on a precedent so what something similar achieved before you'd use that as your estimate range but then also what you do at the same time is you put a reserve on a work. So let's say, for example, you bring a picture in and we say to you it's worth ten to 12,000 rand. We would then also agree on a reserve. And a reserve is basically the minimum amount that you would allow us to sell it for you. So the highest a reserve can be is the low estimate. So if we say ten to 12,000 rand, the highest that reserve can be would be 10,000. But you could say to me, you know, I'm quite keen to sell it. I'm happy with a minimum of 7,500, although the estimate's 10 to 12. But then if the highest bid you get is 7,000, you can't sell it. But from 7,500, you then are allowed to sell it. So then you would just give the artwork back to the person who gave it to you? Correct. If it doesn't sell, you simply keep it and it goes back to the owner. Sometimes what they do is they they try and re-offer it uh, at a lower estimate. Sometimes they try taking it to a different auction house. But essentially what happens is it gets kept, the work is not sold, and it's returned to the owner. How how often does that happen? How often do you see that happen? Look, it depends on the type of work. Um, it depends on the auction house. It depends on a lot of things. But, you know, the the poor, the, the worst performing sales and the worst performing auction houses sell, you know, anything as little as kind of 25, 30% of the sale. Um, I would say the average is probably around 60%, 70%. And then some of the better companies, I mean, really what you want to be doing is selling 85 90% of the sale. Because as you can imagine, for a business, if you offer 100 things and you only sell 20 of them, you know, you only make your revenue on the things that sell. So if 80 things don't sell, that means you've wasted all of that time cataloging them, photographing them, carrying them, you know, storing them, and you make no revenue off them. It's It's not good practice. So you really want to try and ensure that the things that you consign to go into a sale are desirable, that they will sell, and that also you've got them estimated at an accurate value so that you'll get interest, so that you'll stimulate interest from the market and that people will ultimately bid on them. So that's why you are very exclusive or specific on what you want in your auctions? Yes. Look, I think that it's important for a business to understand who they are and what they are. Um, and also, I think, to pick your battles. You know, we're not a huge firm. We don't employ hundreds of people like Sotheby's or Christie's or something who probably employ thousands of people. We're a small team, and it's important for us to pick our battles. We're very specialized in 
modern and contemporary art, specifically from South Africa and the continent. We know a huge amount about it, probably more than any other firm dedicated specifically to it. And for that reason, we're well-placed and we're well-positioned to perform in that in that field. But, you know, as I say that, I will tell you also, I don't know a huge amount about, say, British watercolors or about, <laughs> you know, paintings from Scandinavia or something. And that's exactly why we don't handle that kind of art. So if you bring us something that's not within our our field of specialization, what we will then try and do is, you know, to give the best service to a client, we try and advise them on where the best place to take it would be and who which company would be able to, you know, offer them the best service and ultimately get them the best price if it wasn't us. Well, that does sound like very good service. <laughs> Um, and how often do you have auctions? Is it like once a month, once a year? No, no, no. We do them quarterly. So we have a big auction basically every season. So we have a summer, an autumn, a spring, and a winter sale. So there must be one coming up soon then? Indeed there is. We have quite an exciting sale, which is next month. It's in fact on Valentine's Day, 14th of February, Friday the 14th of February. But... We are doing something quite innovative with the sale. It's unprecedented. It's the first time for the continent where we are actually collaborating with a big French auction house called Piazza. Uh, Piazza is one of the few top European firms that also do dedicated sales of modern and contemporary art from Africa. Most European firms really focus mostly on European and American art. But Piazza is one of the few that does African art, African modern and contemporary art sales. And together with Piazza, we're doing a collaborative auction in Cape Town next month at the time of the Cape Town Art Fair, um, where we will be selling an amazing selection of work from all over the continent. How would you, I was just thinking now that you said in Cape Town, how would you be able to transport the the art? Let's say someone makes something in Durban and you decide that you want it. So then how do you transport it safely to Cape Town without any damaging to make sure it doesn't get stolen or mm-hmm. messed up or anything like that? So there's a fairly established logistics market, logistics industry in this country that specializes or specifically handles art. For the for the large, for the most part, I would say that art is fairly robust. You know, if you make a painting that's oil on canvas, it's actually quite difficult to break it. It's a flat thing. You, what you do is you wrap it in, first of all, well, depending what it's made of, but you wrap it in paper and bubble wrap, and then you put it into cardboard, and if it's something very important or something very fragile or something very valuable, you actually build a crate around it. So you've got an artwork and you've got a custom-made wooden crate that covers it, you know, that just, you know, it only makes it maybe three or four centimeters bigger in each direction. But you basically make a very strong crate around it that, you know, frankly, if you stood on it, it wouldn't even break. So it makes it quite robust and it makes it fairly feasible to transport artworks great distances and, you know, in quite difficult environments. And certainly if it's something quite straightforward, like a flat two-dimensional square or rectangular shape, they're quite easy to handle. It's the sculptures that are much more difficult when they're made out of plaster or something quite fragile and they're in a funny shape. Those become much more difficult. But a two-dimensional thing, as a general rule, is quite manageable. Do you also auction sculptures? Yes, very much so. We do art, you know, the whole spectrum. We've handled some quite obscure things, um, like 
goodness, what's one of the more obscure things we've handled? We sold a two and a half ton uh, rock, <laughs> basically by Willem Borsov, who's quite a well-known artist. But it was a it was a it was a piece of quartz from the Brits area, which literally was the size bigger than this table that that the three of us are sitting at. I'm at a, and it was an artwork because he had, you know, different things engraved in it. But it weighed about two and a half tons. Wow. How would someone, like, put that in their house? Or so it, probably in the museum. It lived in a garden. Um, and it actually got bought by somebody in Cape Town and moved on to a, a garden in Cape Town. But, yes, indeed, it needed a special truck with a special crane, hydraulic crane arm to move it. It was quite a, <laughs> quite a spiel. very heavy. Yes, indeed. It must have been, I mean, like... Very beautiful if they were like someone was willing to take it for if it was like it it um, looked amazing out in the garden, and you know it's quite nice because it's it's such a robust thing, you know brain sun, whatever happens to it, it will be it'll outlive you and me and <laughs> exactly yeah which artist do you think out of all the uh, you've seen so many art uh, out of all the auctions that you've done around the country you've seen all different people's perspectives and whatever who would do you think is the best artist in your opinion that you've seen goodness that's such a difficult question um you know i think art is first of all so subjective but it's also so diverse and so versatile that you know i think it depends on your mood it depends on the day it it would be like me saying to you what's your favorite song it depends on the day it Hmm. depends on where you are it depends what you're doing that put it into perspective yeah um so i would say that there are many artists that i'm mad about um i could tell you who my favorite is right now but if you phone me in two hours it would probably be somebody different so i think it would be unfair to hone in on one particular person at the expense of all the others um but I would say with my hand on my heart that my favorite artists predominantly stem from this country. Wow, that's amazing. I, I was trying to think like predominantly, what name is that? <laughs> I was just, you know, I was like thinking of a name and like, okay, wait, never mind, that is not a name. That's amazing. You must see a lot of beautiful stuff. We do. We have, we're very fortunate in what we do. Um, I think the the nicest thing about what we do is that no two days are ever the same. There's always always something different, but also we get to see such a huge cross section and such a diverse um, selection of art that is produced from all around the world, not just from South Africa. We see art from everywhere, but we we concentrate our efforts mostly on art from this continent and see a huge amount of it. And I can honestly say with my hand on my heart that the art that this country has produced over the past 25 years is some of the best in the world wow we can i think as a nation we can be really proud of what young or mid-career south african artists have produced it's exceptional and it's on the same it's it's at the same level as any other artist from any more developed wealthier nation you know american artists european artists they are certainly not significantly better than any of the top south african artists wow that's amazing and i think you can say that rightfully having seen all of these beautiful artworks from South Africa. Mm, I really can. I've seen lots and lots of art, and I've seen lots and lots of art from the rest of the world. And it's not just my opinion. I think it's general consensus amongst the global art community that what 
this country and indeed this continent has produced over the over recent history over the past two decades two three decades is world class wow that is amazing what do you think that artwork teaches us it's um well that's an interesting question i think i think that to a large extent is what ultimately motivated me to study art but i think that the short answer is that art teaches us everything in as much as if you were to say you were to read the history of art of the renaissance or the history of art of the 20th century or just the entire history of art in the process of reading about the history of art you will learn about the history of social anthropology you'll learn about the history of economics you'll learn about the history of politics you'll learn about the history of technology you'll learn about the history of you know warfare and everything that happens in the world at any particular time is all imbued in the art that that era makes um the greatest art from any era is the art that totally encapsulates what it means to be alive at that particular point in history that's why again to keep with the same reference that's why william kentridge's art is so great because the films that william kentridge made in the late 80s and 90s 100% it can encapsulated what it meant to be living in south africa at the end of that era at the end of the 20th century and that's why it's so great and within that art if you look at the famous films that he made you will understand where we were historically where we were economically what the social conditions were like pretty much what everything was like and the same you know if you go 50 years earlier before that 50 years before that and you know keep going back through history the art that is made at any particular time the best art encapsulates every single detail of being alive at that time in history it's true a lot of the history that we learn from a very long time ago when they was hardly any means of leaving anything or whatever now a lot of the way that we find history about what happened and how it was to live in those times is from the art that they made absolutely like we were learning in i don't know what subject I don't remember about the sculptures that the sun made in the exactly the, in the caves and that's how in fact, that's we know some, a lot of what they that's did that's some of the only way that we have any knowledge of our forefathers in that regard you know albeit hundreds or thousands of years ago there were certainly no you know documents left behind there were certainly no youtube videos left behind to tell us what they used to get up to the way we understand what they did is by what they painted in the caves and on the rocks it's really amazing actually mm-hmm. and as in in aspire art you were telling me about how you have a auction every season and one coming up next month in cape town so if there's only basically four auctions a year then what do you do in between those auctions prepare the auction so it's it's quite a a far reaching and quite an involved process to put together an auction and really it it it's a six month process wow um it doesn't happen overnight and also the the success of the auction hinges on how well and how hard you were working 2 3 4 5 months before that auction because you know everybody thinks as an auctioneer you just stand up in the front of the room and start talking and people just throw money at you but that's really not the case at all it's the auctions where where it looks like that if you're at an auction and it looks like that's what's happening you can be rest assured that those people who put together that auction were working exceedingly hard in the months building up to that auction making sure that they got all of their you know 
boxes ticked. You have to photograph things. You have to catalog things. You have to produce a catalog. You have to do the marketing. You have to let the right people know. You have to do the research. There's a huge amount. Oh, wow. That amount, sounds like a lot of a huge amount. A lot of work. Yeah. And how can people find out more about your upcoming auction, about your auctions in general, about Aspire Art? I would suggest our website. I mean, really, all of our information is there. There's all of our contact details and information about the next sale. But if you go to www.aspireart.net, you can find it all there as well as our contact details. You're very welcome to pop in for a cup of coffee one day or just give us a call and talk about art. There's definitely a lot to talk about. <laughs> so I could go on for another hour about this, but unfortunately everything has to come to an end, so that's not going to happen. Um, thank you so much for coming and teaching me what you could about art, though. It was really very interesting. And thank you. Yeah, thank you for cool. coming. It's a big pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. You can join us for another Chakid show tomorrow, only on 101.9 Chai FM. This has been Chakids for Kids. Bye, kids!